All right, if, if you, when you uh, get to Deuteronomy 6, if you wouldn't mind standing out of reverence for God's word so we, as we read our scripture this morning, we're going to begin in, in uh, verse 1, and we'll read until chapter, or sorry, verse 9. Don't worry, not chapter 9, verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 1. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may follow them in a land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, because the Lord, the, because the Lord, the God of your ancestors has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them, on, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. In church this morning, I want to preach from this text with the idea, and the title of the sermon is The Extraordinary, Ordinary Life. Let's pray. Oh God, you are good. Lord, as we consider your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you will, you will put it into our hearts, Lord our hearts, Lord. Lord, would you open our eyes so we can see clearly your text? Would your Holy Spirit enlighten it for us? Father, will you give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, to preach your word faithfully, Lord. God, we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So before we get started this morning, I believe it would be helpful just to give you a little bit of background here on the book of Deuteronomy. So first, thankfully this morning, we find ourselves in Jesus' second favorite book of the Old Testament. So if you didn't know that, there you go. Jesus loves Deuteronomy, so you should love Deuteronomy too, okay? He actually quotes it more than any other book in the Old Testament, of course, except the Psalms. Um, but really quickly... Dr. Daniel Block, who's a scholar, uh, an Old Testament scholar, and also just a scholar in the book of Deuteronomy, he gives a, a quick little theme that I think would just be really helpful for us to keep in mind as we're walking through the text this morning. So this is kind of, of like the theme of Deuteronomy and what Israel is supposed to do in regards to how they hear Torah or the words of God or, or the law, okay? So keep this in mind here. So it begins with reading the Torah or the law, the words of the Lord, then hearing it, then learning it, then fearing the Lord, which leads to obedience, and that obedience leads to life, or flourishing, if you will. So we'll see this theme over and over in the book of Deuteronomy, but specifically in our text here this morning. But specifically where we are is in chapter 6 here. This is, this is the beginning of Moses' second sermon to Israel. Uh, and they're in the plains of Moab before they cross into the promised land. So right before in chapter 5, to give you a little context, if you quickly glance, you see that it's the, a retelling of the Ten Commandments, okay? 
So, so Moses is bringing back to Israel's memory what happened in the 20th chapter of Exodus when they had an experience or an epiphany with the Lord on Mount Sinai and the Lord gave them the law. So there they are in the plains of Moab. They're about to enter the promised land. So what we're going to see today is Moses gives them a few key reminders of how they were supposed to live when they enter the promised land. Okay? Tracking with me? So you might be asking, Jesse, how does Deuteronomy deal with our mission of showing off Christ or making disciples that show off Christ where life exists? Let me tell you. When Pastor Michael asked me to preach in this series, he said, hey, I want you to focus on the, I think I want you to focus on where the life exists part. And I started smiling. He's like, dang, he's going to preach for Deuteronomy. I should have asked Pastor Mike. <laughs> and he was right. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But what it has to do with it is because when I started processing and thinking through and as we were processing, I realized that I was thinking about our mission statement and the where life exists. I was only processing that of making disciples as of going somewhere else that's not here, right? I was thinking of, oh, we, Newbury, we need, to get that, we need to get that missions team going. We need to get people mobilized, which is true. That, that, but is, is life not here in this room right now? Are we not included in the where life exists? Right? That's us, too. Our spouses, our kids, our roommates, our friends, our neighbors, the people who live in Louisville, the people who live outside of Louisville, in our state, in our country, and all over the world. So we seek to show off Christ where life exists, and if that's around us, what does that take? Well, it's just not a one-time thing, is it? It's not just like a one-short-time mission trip or one long-term mission trip. Church, that's everyday life, yeah? That's everyday life. That is to be our life. Because life exists in me, in you. Wherever we are, there is life. So let me try and help paint where we're going to go today, just with a little story um, that would hopefully be helpful to, to make this, a little, this understandable. Um, I don't know who got it for, but for Christmas, Ren got like this little sticky cat thing. Like it's a little... St- I don't know. It's like a little blob, and it's sticky, and it's a cat, yeah? So, yeah, sticky cat, that's right. Yeah. So what we would do is one night, I don't know how it started, but I just threw it up on the ceiling, and it stuck there. And she went, like, nuts. Like, I've never heard her laugh like that before. It was, and Megan and I were just, we just loved being in that moment with her. It was precious just to hear the way that she was just so deeply there in the moment, just laughing, like belly laughing. And since then, uh, we, I think we threw the cat, I threw the cat away, the little sticky cat, because it just got nasty, and I threw it away. Sticky cat. And ever since then, when we've gone to Target, I've looked for another one, because I just want, I cherish that moment. I watch it every time I go back to the office every Monday. When I'm missing my girls, that's the video that I watch. Because I want to feel that again. I want, to, I want to hear her laugh like that again. Because it was one of the sweetest moments that we have had together as a family. And as I tried to replicate and, and to figure out how we could do that again, this week I was thinking and praying through it, and it just kind of hit me. The Lord was just really kind to me is that there's nothing wrong with those moments, Right? Those moments should be cherished, and I do cherish those moments. But what's even more special than that is that I get every day, every single day, 
all the laughs, all the tears, all the hugs with my girls every single day. The good moments, the hard moments, but I get to be with them every single day. And church, I think that's what our life has got to look like. So I want to put before you today as we, as we walk through this text a call to pursue faithfulness to the Lord in every single aspect of your life with all of who you are. And notice the title was The Extraordinary Ordinary Life. This is something that we should be doing over and over and over, and it's okay if it looks ordinary. It's okay if it looks ordinary. It's okay if you work the same job for the next 35 years and you are faithful to the Lord. So that's what I'm going to call us to this morning. So as, as we jump into the text this morning, this brings me to my first point, which is verses 1 through, th- one through 3, and it's the necessity of remembrance. So let me read that back into your hearing. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. So in verse 1, here Moses is reminding, just as we said before, Israel with their encounter with God at Sinai, when they, when they were given the Ten Commandments. So Moses is recalling that, that image to them once again, but what is, notice that what he grounds, he grounds their memory in, the statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. So it comes from the Lord, he, he he grounds this reminder in divine authority, right? But if we remember, Exodus comes before Deuteronomy, right? They have, to, they have to experience something before they can remember it. So why is Moses, why is Moses bringing this to their, their memory once again? They already know the law of the Lord. Shouldn't they already be practicing it as they've gone along in the wilderness? Yes. It's nothing new to them. So why, why does he bring it back to their memory? Because the Israelites are, going to, are, about to walk in, are about to enter into the promised land. And Moses wants them to remember, hey, just because the Lord has given you the promised land, alleviating the suffering of the wilderness, you still have to follow these commands. So he's bringing them back, he's bringing it back to their memory. And in verse 2, we see that Moses reminds Israel the importance of who they are to follow when they enter the lands. He says them to do this so that you may fear the Lord, your God. Get this all the days of your life, right? This is a lifelong faithfulness. This is in the wilderness. This is in the land. Not only is it lifelong, but it's also generational, okay? This is something that they, which we'll get to later, this has generational implications of how the Israelites are supposed to live. So you see that here in verse 2. The statutes and commands that I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may live and have a long life. And then verse 3 here. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them, so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. So church, we hit on it before. What have they been doing for 40 years? They've been in the wilderness, right? Going to the promised land. The Lord has taken them. You think that's been easy? No. It's okay. You can answer me. It's okay. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. It hasn't. Let me tell you, it hasn't. 
But it just kind of seems like Moses is kind of being a downer and just being that one guy who's just always overzealous for faithfulness and is like, don't you think this should be a time where they're about to walk into the promise that God has been, has been promising them for over 40 years? And he's not calling them to, hey, rejoice, be so happy. What is he calling them back to? Faithfulness. Which I'm not saying that rejoice and be happy is not a matter of faithfulness because it definitely is. But he's focusing on the words of the Lord so that they will remember and then be faithful in the land. But notice this, just the kindness of the Lord at the end of verse 3. The Lord has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't you see that that is the antithesis of the wilderness? Right? The Lord is giving them the antithesis of their suffering. Because if you remember, you probably don't remember, and I'm not mad at you for not remembering, but when I preached on Deuteronomy 4, we were... I said that because I remember, okay? It's, it's totally fine. But when we preached on Deuteronomy 4, we remembered, was there anything special about the land? Since you, don't, since you don't remember, let me answer it for you. No, it's just land. But what is special about it is that if you... God is the one who had his eye on it while they were wandering in the wilderness. God is the, God is the one who caused it to rain upon the land. God is the one who caused the land to flourish and to grow. So when the Israelites came into the land... They would be ready and prepared for them, and they would have a land flowing with milk and honey. It has nothing to do with Israel's faithfulness, but all with the Lord's faithfulness. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And praise God that that's riddled throughout Scripture for us to see every single day. But anyway, so notice that it's the antithesis of the desert. But lastly, notice the language and what happens if they follow and obey and are obedient to the word of the Lord. What does it say? It says a couple of times here. Verse 2 and 3. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands. And so that you may have a long life. Okay? So if they obey and they keep and they do all the words of the law, they have a long life. Verse 3, again. Listen, Israel, be careful to follow them. What's them? The words of the Lord his instructions. Why? So that you may prosper and multiply greatly. So church, these are not just arbitrary words that the Lord just wants them to keep, right? They're from the Lord. They have expectations. They have weight. Listen to what Moses says in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. This is right before Moses dies. This is what he leaves the Israelites with. Take heart to all these words I am giving you as a warning, as I am giving to you as a warning today, so that you may commend them to your children to follow all the words of this law carefully. For they are not meaningless words to you, but they are your life. And by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So, there ha- so there, Moses is telling us that there is some type of when the Lord's word is obeyed, there is flourishing. There is flourishing. Moses is calling them to remember that these are just not arbitrary words, but they are their very life. Church, we hit on it. Why does he have to remind them? Because if you remember Israel's track record, when the Lord split the Red Sea... When the Lord did all, when he freed them from slavery, 
Do you remember what Israel said when the Lord freed them from slavery and Moses was up on the mountain? Too long? Who is this God that has taken us and freed us from Egypt just to let us die in the desert? Right? Church, don't you see yourself there too, though? How much easier, how much easier is it for us to forget the past grace of God when we're, in a, when we're not in a situation that we don't feel like we really need it anymore? Right? Isn't that much easier? We're in this situation when we're suffering and all that we can cling to is the word of the Lord. But once we are out of that hard season, I kind of got this. Again. I got this. Like, things are a little easier. I can do this. Church, we do that too. I did this like four months ago. Legit. I was going through a really hard season of work, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And the Lord brought me through it, and I'm like, thanks, God. Okay, moving on. But it's a great reminder to us, church, And what Moses is getting them to remember is that our circumstances don't dictate our faithfulness. Instead, our knowledge of the Lord and his faithfulness and our past experiences that we have had had with God, where he has been faithful and gracious and merciful to us over and over and over, this is what drives and dictates and transforms our circumstances. Church, because you know it just as well as I do. Where life exists, there also exists suffering. So church, we have to be reminded over and over and over and over the word of the Lord. We have to. It's our life source. Church, but also we have to remember the context of Deuteronomy 6. Was this given to one Israelite? You're right, Pastor Mike. It was given to all of Israel. So what does that mean for us on this side of the cross, in this new covenant? Church, you look to your left and to your right. In this room right here, this is where life exists. So where life exists and where believers exist, we need each other to remind one another that Jesus is better. Church, I need you to remind me that Jesus is better. So what does this look like? Let me give you a really practical. The last time I preached here, my dear brother Wesley, as I was at the table there putting on the mic, and I was sweaty, and I was nervous, And I think that he saw that and he knew that. So what did he do? He just prayed for me. And he prayed something along the lines of this. Lord, would you be glorified in Jesse's preaching today? This is a paraphrase, okay? Would you be glorified in Jesse's preaching today and remind him that it's not about him, but it's about you? Church, I need that. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded That Jesus is better. Secondly, really practical. My dad won tickets to a a show, a concert, um, to a band that Megan and I have never really listened to. um, And we got to go to that this weekend. It was really cool. But as I was there, I didn't know any of the words of the song, so we weren't singing. But we were just hanging out and watching people. Kind of like a, I don't want to say older band. I don't want to offend anybody. Well, I'm not going to tell you who it was, so... Kind of an older band, at least to me. So I didn't, but we saw a lot of people who were older than us, and you could just tell, like, they were getting it. 
This was like, these are like the middle school songs that like, they were getting it. Uh, nothing bad going on. Don't worry. Don't worry. We were above reproach. Don't you, don't you worry. But the whole time that I was there, and it was really cool, and it was a really good performance. But the whole time that I was there, I told Megan this. I was like, I would just rather be at Newbury. I would just rather be here worshiping with you because when you worship and I hear you sing, it reminds me that Jesus is better. So when we worship, please sing. Because I need you to sing that this is the story that we will tell. My God has never failed. Church, we need one another to remind us that the Lord is good. And his words are our life. So as we move on here, we see Moses calling Israel to remember these words of the Lord and what's happened uh, in their experiences with the Lord. Moses now moves them to, to live out this faithfulness that this demands. So let's look at verses 4 through 6. And this brings me to my second point, the totality of the person. The second point is the totality of the person. Let's read verse 4. You all have all heard this. This is nothing new to y'all. This is a very, this is Shema. It's a very quoted uh, piece of scripture. And actually, modern day Jews actually pray this two times daily, even still. Anyway, verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God and the Lord is one. Amen. So let's think about it. Here they are about to enter the promised land of Canaan. Okay? Now, we see here, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the the God of Israel. He is our God, and he is one. Okay? Listen to what Dr. Block says. This is so good. This was so helpful for me. This is not strictly a monotheistic confession, meaning this is not just a confession that there is only one God but a cry of allegiance, an affirmation of covenant commitment that defines the boundaries of the covenant community. So the covenant commitment would be between Israel and God. Okay, and the Lord is, and and Dr. Block is pointing to this and saying that because the Lord our God, because the Lord is our God and he is one in context of Israel, that is what defines the covenant boundaries. Does that make sense? Yeah, tracking with me? Okay, good. Church, that is so good. That is good news for us. Like, don't you see that because Yahweh is Yahweh and he is one, that defines the circumstances of our loyalty to God. That that should define the circumstances of Israel's loyalty to God. Now, notice he didn't say, because he parted the Red Sea on your behalf, Because he freed you from Egypt. Of course, those things, huge benefits. Absolutely huge benefits. But what is demanded of us in our allegiance and our obedience and faithfulness? Remember what Pastor Michael said when he he preached on Genesis 1-1? When he preached on the book of Genesis, we learned that we worship because God is. I don't know if you remember how you, I don't know if you remember how the Lord revealed himself to Moses. He said, I am. 
Church, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I have those moments in my life where I'm just like, this is, like, this is real. Like, this is real life. The Lord is one, and he cares for me, and he loves me, and this is real. Church, it is a joy. It is an absolute joy that God is who God is, and he still loves us. And not only does he love us, but he desires to have a covenantal relationship with his church. Praise the Lord for that. So if there's a cry of allegiance here in verse 4, why, why is that a reminder now? Because when they enter the promised land, there's still going to be Canaanites there, right? Remember? There's going to, there's going to be Canaanites there, and there's going to be Canaanite culture there. They do not worship Yahweh. That's why the Israel or Moses is reminding Israel, the Lord our God, the God of Israel, is one. So when you come into the land... When you see everything that the Canaanites got going on that looks a lot better than what you have right now, you remember, Israel, that the Lord that parted the Red Sea is one, and he is your God. So church, when we are in this life right now, and when we are at a computer where no one else is with us or watching or whatever it looks like, and we see what everybody's got out there, church, you remember, our God is one. Our God is one. So what do we do with that? What, what is Israel to do with that? Okay, the Lord is one. All right, great. What do we do with that when we get into the land? Look at verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Church, quick note here. I meant to add this into my notes, but I forgot. But a quick note. This is actually the first time in Scripture that it has ever been commanded by the Lord to love him. This is the first time it's always been fear the Lord. It's, this is the first time that we see in Scripture that the Lord calls us to, or calls Israel to love him. But for us, it kind of seems like, a, oh, it's very, like, I know that I'm supposed to love the Lord. Like, I get it. I, I get that I know I'm supposed to love the Lord. How, how are we supposed to do that? How is Israel supposed to do that? Praise God that he's very clear for us in this text right here. We're supposed to love the Lord with all of our heart. Which let me, here in the Hebrew, it lends the connotations of the inner person. So our thoughts, our mind, our consciousness, the inner person of us, that kind of notates our heart there, who we are inside. And then secondly, with their soul. Church, this is so good. I remember Dr. Howell and we were studying the book of Deuteronomy a few years ago um, at Boyce. And he translated here soul. He noted to us that it has a, it could be, woodenly translated as variness. What that means is like the variness of who you are. I know it's a little, it's a wooden, it's kind of hard to understand, but what it basically means is everything that you are. All of us. Church, what does that mean for your identity? What does that mean for our identity? If we're supposed to love the Lord with who we are, we're, what does that mean for our identity as, as people, as a church, Let me move on to, to the, the third here. So we saw with, with our heart, with our soul, and with all of our strength. I never, after studying this, I never really heard this one before. I always think about that as my mind. Like it has to, it depends on me when it comes to my strength and how much I am striving and what I am doing and how much Bible intake, how much prayer. 
let me tell you this as your pastor, as one of your pastors, you should read your Bible and pray, okay? I'm not saying those are, we have no context that those can be bad things, right? Except where legalism creeps in. But anyway, so please read your Bibles and pray. That is not what I'm not telling you to do. You should do that. But what it's talking about here in strength, not only is it their physical strength and striving, but it's absolutely everything that they have, their resources. So that means our physical resources, our house, our cars, our finances, whatever else, whatever else it is, our hobbies, whatever else it is that you have, our social status. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. I'm just a pastor. I just work a job. I don't got much social play there. But anyway, like I don't have much. But whatever that looks like, everything that the Lord has blessed us with is all supposed to be taken in and used in this avenue that we take whatever he's given us and whatever we have and whoever we are and whatever we look like and whatever we do, no matter what we do, I don't care what type of job you got, in that job you can love the Lord. And not only can you, but you should. Remember what Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So if we're supposed to know, if we're supposed to love the Lord and we're supposed to keep his commands, well, look at verse 6 here real quick. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart, church. If we were supposed to know those commands and keep them, we gotta, or if we're supposed to keep them, we got to know them. Right? Moses tells them that these words that are not arbitrary but are their very life, supposed to be in, it's supposed to be in their heart. Church, this goes back to, I need you to remind me that the word of God needs to be in my heart. And let me remind you of the sufficiency of Scripture. And we see in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Get this, so that the man of God may be complete in every good work. So church, as I was writing, let me be honest with you, as I was writing this sermon as I was writing this sermon, uh, specifically in, ver- in the, my second point in verses 4 through 6, it, 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 the Lord just led me to think, okay, if, we're, if I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, and mind, or strength, and these words are supposed to be in my heart, it really made me think about, okay, throughout the week, what am I making time for? What am I letting in to my heart that's not the word of God? What am I constantly remembering? What am I constantly putting before my eyes? What am I pursuing? And then let me, this one, let me ask you this too. What are you loving? What are you, and I don't mean like, like I love a sandwich, right? I mean like, what are you really loving? What are you really pursuing? What are we being discipled by? What are we talking about? Because I can assure you, as we see in Scripture, where Jesus our Lord says that what's in the heart comes out of the mouth, right? So a good indicator of what we love is what we're talking about. Amen. Help us. But before I move on, as I was writing this, I was feeling burdened. I was feeling like I was failing. 
I was feeling like I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I was feeling like I really wasn't pursuing the Lord with all of my strength. And and thinking back in context of Israel's history, where they are given these commands and they fail time and time and time again, Moses tells them before he dies. He tells them, hey, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul when you get into the land, and you will prosper and live a long life, and that will, you will stay long in the land. If you do that, you will live long in the land, okay? Before Moses dies, he tells them, you're not going to live long in this land because you will forsake the Lord and chase other gods, and he's going to exile you. And that was a little crushing to me because I'm like, I'm not no special dude. I'm just a regular dude, right? Church, and I was burdened at how this was going to come across, right? I just felt like I was just exhorting you to faithfulness after faithfulness, knowing that we fail and that we fail, and I didn't want to put a burden on you. So let me, let me read you just a couple scriptures and just kind of see if you can see some of the things that we've been talking about. This is John 4, 46 through 47. This is Jesus speaking. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. This is Jesus. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe me? So Jesus is telling us that Moses wrote about Jesus, or in John 14, 31, this is Jesus again, on the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do as the Father commanded me. How about in John 1, verse 14? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or how about in Matthew 5, 17? This is again Jesus. Don't think that I came to abolish the law of prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill it. How about, lastly, Philippians 2, 8? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And as I was feeling burdened about the fact that I would never be able to live up to God's standard because of my sin, and then I read those, do you not see that Jesus is modeling Torah? Do you not see that Jesus is fulfilling Deuteronomy 5 and 6 right here? John 14, 31, I love the Father. Is Israel not commanded to love Yahweh? Is Israel not commanded to be obedient to Yahweh? He was obedient even unto death. Church, Jesus fulfilled this for Israel and on our behalf. Church, that burden is lifted. Remember Romans 5, 8? But God demonstrates his own love for us and that, and that knowing that we were sinners, Christ still died for us. Church, I just think that we just try and hide all these things from the Lord, of, that he's too afraid, that we're too afraid that he'll know that we can't live up to his standards. Like we just try and hide our sin, knowing that we can't live up. But the, Jesus has fulfilled it for us. Church, let, me, let this be an encouragement to you. To, you have freedom to seek the Lord because he knew your sin. Church, he knew that Israel would fail. Did they still get to the land? They did. They did. They entered the land. Why? Because God is faithful. That's why. So before we move on, let me read one more verse from John into your hearing. As we, if we go into the third point and we, bring, and we look at what are we supposed to do with this love that we have for the Lord. 
As we've seen Jesus fulfill this burden of keeping Torah and keeping the law and being obedient, listen to this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I have spoken these things to you while, I'm, while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So in context of that, where we see that the Lord Jesus has fulfilled obedience to the Lord, or to, to Yahweh, he loved him, he was obedient to the plan. And not only of that, he's fulfilled that to us, but us on this side of the cross, in this new covenant, he has given us his Holy Spirit, okay? To empower us to be able to do these things. So in light of that, I want you to look lastly with me at verses 7 and 9. And this is the third point, which is the outworkings of the inner person. So in light of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, let's read verse 7. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. Church, that just seems like so simple. Doesn't that just seem so simple for us to do? Church, the commands of the Lord are to be a family matter. It's not just an us thing. It's an our family thing. It should be discussed in a family setting. So what this means is, is that parents need to see their, or children need to see their, their parents talking about the words of the Lord. But think about it. My, my daughter is not a believer. I don't know about your kids. I was going to make a, never mind. I don't know about your kids, but church, when our kids are sick, do we, not, do we not go to the greatest lengths to get the medicine that they need? Church, our kids need Jesus. And we have the words of life. Just like Peter said, where else will we go? We know where to go. We need to show our kids where to go. For you, those of you who have no kids or are involved in other kids' life, this is also a command for you as well. Talk about them to the children in your life. Teach them to the children in your life. I mean, how many of you have memories of your, your parents praying together, crying together, reading the word together that you hold on to dearly? So that leads us to verse 7, or the, the latter part of verse 7. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, specifically when you sit in your house. Church is another great reminder. What do we talk about in our homes? I want my wife and I to have a relationship to where it's not weird for us to talk about the Lord. It's not weird for us to talk about what we read in our Bible plan today. It's not weird for us to ask questions to one another. Hey, what do you think this means? This just seems like we, Megan and I have been going through a Bible plan together, a yearly Bible plan. And we've had a lot of conversations like, yo, what was going on in Genesis? Like with Israel. There's some weird stuff going on with Israel. Or they weren't even Israel yet. But there was some weird stuff going on. We should talk about those things. We should talk about the word with one another. Secondly, in verse 7, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. I don't know about y'all, but I don't walk much when I go places anymore, right? But we spend a lot of times out of our houses. If you don't have a, a job where you can work from home, you're at the office, but also when you go to the grocery store, when you go to your friend's house who's not a believer. But here's the thing, too, is even when you go to your friend's house who is a believer, right? Like Moses is commending Israel 
They have the words. And he's commanding them when they go along the, the, the road and when they walk with one another, they're still to discuss. I think that we always think about when we, we talk about sharing the word of God or sharing our faith, like we forget that we need to still discuss it with believers, yeah. right? It's not just an event, just an, 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 we don't just talk about the Lord when we're evangelizing someone. And he tells Israel, when you get up and when you lie down. They're supposed to talk about that when, when they get up and when they lie down. This kind of seems like a whole day to me, right? It kind of seems just the totality of their day. I'm not an expert on ancient Near Eastern history and their culture, but they probably went to sleep at night and then woke up in the morning, which is kind of like what we do. So our whole day should be focused on, on the Lord, focused on discussing, thinking about, meditating on, reading, processing. And then verse 8 and 9, abide them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your, your forehead. Verse 8 specifically, and there's, this is not the application here, it's not that you should get, I'm saying you can, but this is not me telling you that because you need to bind it on your hand and on your forehead that you should go get tattoos on your forehead. All right? I'm not, I mean, if you want to do that, it's whatever. But what this represents here, and scholars have discussed that this is to be literally, to be taken literally or figuratively, but they're supposed to have it as a reminder on their hand, as a symbol on your forehead. When you meet someone, you look at their face, Right? right? So if, they got the, if the Israelites have the words bound on their forehead, it would look a little different. It would look a little different. But when we have the word bound on our, on our hands and on our foreheads and in our hearts, we should look different. Because of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit by enlightening his word to us. And then in verse 9, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So it's a reminder for Israel when, when they walk in and out of their home and the word of the Lord is marked on their, their doorposts, it's a reminder that whatever is done in this home is to be done in allegiance to Yahweh. And then when I leave this home, whatever I do is to be done in allegiance to Yahweh. The same with the city gates. Whatever legal matters are going on, whatever social matters are going on, whatever shopping needs to be done for the day, whatever grocery shopping, it's all to be done in accordance with allegiance to Yahweh. To Yahweh. So as we said, as they, they, we've hit it, on, hit on it before, but when they get to, to the land of Canaan, there's going to be Canaanites there. Look at Deuteronomy 4. And Moses tells them, this is how the people should respond if you are careful to do these things, okay? Carefully follow the words, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. Now, the peoples is not Israel. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, this great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that had a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? So what does that mean? 
this means that the way that Israel is supposed to live in the land of Canaan should make those who are not Israel say, what is different about them? Why do they act differently? Why are they just? Why do they care about the widow? Why do they fight oppression? Why do they love, why do they act the way that they do? Church, that's the same for us. I don't know about you, but what's out there looks a lot different than sometimes what's right here. We see the news. We've seen all the tragedies that have happened even this week. We've seen all of that. Church, the way that we treasure the word of the Lord, the way that we live, the the way that we react to suffering, the way that we react when we have a boss who is mean, the way that we react to injustice should point to that there is something different about us. What is that that's different about us? It's that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what's different. See, our actions, let me put it into, I think one of the greatest theologians of our day, KB, he said this, they'll remember me, they will remember me for your greatness. They'll remember me for your greatness. But we have to think about that in the sense of, like, what Moses is telling them to do in verse 7 and 9 is just normal. They're just supposed to live their normal lives. They're just supposed to wake up and go to bed and then leave the home and live in their city. That's what we do. Like, it's just normal life. But see, don't you see that because they have a God who is one? They have Yahweh. It transforms the normal and makes it extraordinary. And not focused on their glory, but focused on his glory. So church, as we close, let me leave you with this. Church, when you consider your life I don't know what dreams you have. I don't know what dreams you have forsaken because you have kids now. I don't know what you wish you had more time for. I don't know what your financial goals are. I don't know what your career goals are. I don't know your exercise plan. I don't, church, whatever it is, love the Lord. Love the Lord. Church, when you go to work, love the Lord. Church, when you, come to, or when you come to church, love the Lord. When you wake up and you go to McDonald's and get a sausage biscuit, love the Lord. When you come home and you are tired and you do laundry even though you don't want to do it, love the Lord. When you wake up with a newborn, however many times y'all are waking up with a newborn, I hope it's not a lot, love the Lord. What I'm trying to say is, is whatever you do, love the Lord. And let me encourage you with this. You don't have to do it in your own power. Because Jesus promised, if I remember correctly, I will be with you until the end of the age. Church, that's all we got. It's okay to live a normal, ordinary life and just to love the Lord. And it's okay to not live a normal and you do all these really cool things and you got a YouTube channel. Whatever, 
That's cool too. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Love the Lord. Let's pray. God, would you help us love you? Lord, would you help us to meditate on your word? God, would you help us to encourage one another to love you? Because you were so worthy of it. You were so worthy. You were so kind. God, thanks for saving us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.